This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, July 21st. I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, we feature Rachel Del Judas's conversation with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. They discuss the Biden administration's failure of leadership on China and Hong Kong. Pompeo also addresses how the administration has put climate change ahead of American security. And don't forget, if you're enjoying today's podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, today's show was recorded at the Turning Point USA Student Action Summit, so please excuse the background music and noise. And now, on to today's top news. Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky sparred with Dr. Anthony Fauci during a Senate hearing Tuesday. The heated exchange centered on whether the U.S. government funded gain-of-function research in China where COVID-19 originated, as reported by The Daily Signal's Fred Lucas. Gain-of-function research is the process of making a virus more infectious for the purpose of studying it. This kind of research was taking place in the Wuhan lab in China, and Senator Paul says the National Institute of Health funded such research at the lab that some believe is responsible for the COVID-19 virus. Let's take a listen to Senator Paul and Dr. Fauci's exchange per NBC News. And and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Let's okay, you get NIH. one person. Let's read from the NIH definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals, and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance, and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for 4 million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. And let's let Dr. Fauci. I have to. Well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a subaward from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. If it did I come can, from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab. You, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. Senator Paul went on to say that he was not saying that the virus from the known gain-of-function research caused the pandemic, but that evidence shows the U.S. funded other gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab per Fred Lucas. Fauci responded by saying, you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individuals. I totally resent that. And if anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has named five Republicans to serve on the House committee that will investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. The five members include Indiana Representative Jim Banks, Ohio Representative Jim Jordan, Illinois Representative Rodney Davis, North Dakota Representative Kelly Armstrong, and Texas Representative Troy Niels. House Democrats created the committee after Senate Republicans blocked the creation of such a committee in the Senate. The House voted to approve the committee 222 to 190, largely along party lines. 
GOP Representatives Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois were the only Republicans who voted in favor of the committee. Representative Banks said in a statement that he accepted the opportunity to serve on the January 6th committee because we need leaders who will force the Democrats and the media to answer questions so far ignored. Among them, why was the Capitol unprepared and vulnerable to attack on January 6th? House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is avoiding answering questions about which Facebook posts the White House will flag as misinformation. Last week, Psaki said the White House will flag posts to Facebook that they deem as vaccine misinformation. When pressed on the issue Monday, Psaki did not say whether or not the White House will release information on what posts it considers misinformation and will ask Facebook to block. Saki said, first of all, we have not asked Facebook to block any individual posts. The way this works is that there are trends that are out there on social media platforms. And she added that it's up to social media platforms to determine what their application is of their own rules and regulations. And so we just certainly raise where we have concerns about information that's inaccurate, that is traveling out there in whatever platform it's traveling on. The Heritage Foundation's research fellow in technology policy, Kara Frederick, joined Fox News to explain what the White House is asking Facebook to do here. Facebook is doing too much. And at this point, the cat's out of the bag. As others have said, they're saying the quiet part out loud. This is the Biden administration. They're saying that, you know, hey, we are attempting to circumvent the Constitution. We're attempting to evade the First Amendment by outsourcing our censorship, our desired censorship to private companies. And this is not tenable. You know who else thinks it's not tenable? The Supreme Court. A friend of the show, Vivek Ramaswamy, he reminds Reminds us in Norwood versus Harrison, 1973, the Supreme Court says this is not allowed. You cannot allow a private entity or a private citizen in that case. So what Facebook represents to do the government's bidding for it. You can't promote what the government cannot do constitutionally. Given the Surgeon General's comments, given Jen Psaki's comments from the last week, this is what it looks like they are attempting to do. You can read more on this issue at thedailysignal.com. Now stay tuned for Rachel Del Judas's conversation with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Do you have an opinion that you'd like to share? Leave us a voicemail at 202-608-6205 or email us at letters at dailysignal.com. Yours could be featured on the Daily Signal podcast. We're joined on the Daily Signal by former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Secretary Pompeo, thank you for being with us again on the Daily Signal. It's great to be back on the Daily Signal. You all are doing a great job. Well, it's great to have you with us. You had remarked recently on Twitter that the current administration, the Biden administration, is putting climate change ahead of challenging the Chinese Communist Party. Can you tell more about what's going on here and why you said that? So our administration was the first in 40 years to confront the communism and tyranny of the Chinese Communist Party. It had been, frankly, pretty bipartisan that we would just go along and get along with the Chinese to sell a few more trinkets. I think the world can see now that's no longer what happens in Beijing stays in Beijing. Sadly, this administration has reversed much of the good work we did to try and support the people of Tibet, the people of Hong Kong. 
and frankly to make sure that we don't live in a world that is dominated by China five or ten or fifteen years from now. They are the first person they send to China is John Kerry. That's a bad sign. That tells you that you're going to put climate change ahead of American security. And we know this: the Chinese aren't going to do anything on climate change. Half of the urban CO2 that's emitted comes from 25 cities. Of those 25 cities, 22 are inside of China, and they want to shut our economy down to try and fix that problem set. They, uh, they're not serious about China. You saw what happened to Secretary Blinken on the first trip to Anchorage. We've seen no response to the Wuhan virus killing millions. I hope this administration will come to understand that China is the central threat of our times, and will begin to confront it the way that we did for four years. One Monday,、uh, very recently today, the Biden administration did call out China for cyber attacks. Do you see the threat of cyber attacks continuing? So it's real, and it's a problem. It's cheap to do. Offense is easy to play. Defense is really, really complicated and really hard. And so, while you have to play defense, securing networks and doing that, that challenging technical work. The United States government has a responsibility. It has to deter these bad actors. So, if this was China, as they say it is, they've got to go impose real cost on the Chinese decision makers who permitted that to happen, or this will flourish. And if you, if you allow Vladimir Putin and his thugs to continue to conduct ransomware campaigns all across America and shut down the American economy without any cost to the leadership, it'll happen again. This is a deterrence model that has to be established, and that means the United States is going to have to take real actions to impose real cost on the real bad actors. Secretary Pompeo, you marked on this earlier, but what do you think of the Biden administration's general approach to China? Where do you see weakness, and where do you see opportunities for them to alter that weakness? So they've actually said the right thing on many fronts. They confirmed the genocide is still taking place in in Western China. They've acknowledged that the Chinese Communist Party is refusing to even talk about their missile and nuclear programs. Those are those are the right policies. They've said the right words on Taiwan, although I, I worry that the Chinese believe that when push comes to shove, the Americans won't be with them under the Biden administration if they go confront the Taiwanese in a way that is very, very dangerous. I, I pray that I'm wrong about that. They need to demonstrate that resolve. These, you know, President Reagan had this right: it, weakness begets war, and peace, strength, go together. If we show weakness, if we are, are unable to muster the courage to confront the Chinese government. Then the Chinese will walk all over us, and that means they'll walk all over the world in 10 and 15 and 20 years from now. We'll live in a world that looks like a China-centric model, that is the Middle Kingdom controlling and having hegemony over too much of our world, and that's not good for my kids. And I'm blessed one day my grandchildren. Well, Secretary of State Blinken also recently invited racism experts to come to the U.S. from the、uh, from the United Nations and talk about racism. This happened very recently, about a week or two ago. What's your perspective of this invitation? It's nonsensical. Our administration understood that the UN Human Rights Commission was simply a bunch of thugs, frankly, a bunch of anti-Semitic thugs, who spend most of their time nagging on Israel for the things they do simply to defend themselves. To invite them in to look at American systemic racism, which frankly doesn't exist, we know this is a nation that is more perfect every day in how we treat people with dignity they deserve because they're created in the image of God. And to allow them to come in, we know what they'll say. We know what these reports will end up saying. We know they'll say, "Oh, this is racism. The Americans need to do X, Y, and Z to go fix it." This is a commission occupied by people like Venezuela, by the Iranians. <laughs> these are bad actors trying to stick the thumb in the eye of the American people to to have permitted them to come in and. Evaluate racism in America is an enormous mistake. They're certainly not in China, looking what's going on with the Uyghurs. They're not in Venezuela, seeing what Maduro is doing. They wrote a small report about Venezuela that was duly ignored. They'll they'll come after America hard, and we shouldn't let them do that. 
the UN is not the right body to make sure that our America is functioning in the way that it needs to. Well, President Biden recently had his first trip to Europe, and on Twitter you had commented how usually these trips are done to put America first. Was that what happened in this trip in your perspective? No, they went there to make friends. They went there to attend nice parties. They went there to uh, essentially apologize for four years of the Trump administration. Right? The Europeans were happy to welcome them. They were happy to say, boy, it's a good thing President Trump and Mike Pompeo were gone. Uh, it's not about making friends. It's about earning respect. It's about preserving American security and freedom. When we do those things, good things will happen for our European friends and allies. They are great partners of ours. But it can't be the case that NATO is solely on the backs of the American people. It can't be that uh, trade and economic growth are done with unfair trade deals between the United States and Europe. It can't be the case that uh, our diplomacy uh, apologizes for the work that we do around the world. We need to be firm with our friends. We need to hug them. And then we need to make clear we're going to do things that make sense for the American people. It's not what they did on that trip. It was a, it was, it was a mistake to, to go there and then to allow Vladimir Putin to stand alone on a podium and talk about Black Lives Matter and the riots in, in Washington, D.C. and all across our country without the president standing up and saying, no, Mr. President, to the president of Russia, no, Mr. President, that's just wrong. America is the most exceptional nation in the history of civilization and to defend it with all the energy he could muster. Well, during your time as Secretary of State, you did so much to work on religious freedom, protecting it at home and abroad. What is your perspective on the state of religious freedom in the United States right now? So I did. I was able to work on this all across the world. It was really important to our administration. We believed, and I believe, that the more religious freedom is provided to people all across the world, the less risk there is of tyranny and oppression, but also the less risk that there'll be war. Countries that are more free, more tolerant of different religions have a way of working things out amongst themselves. I watch what's happening here at home. I watched what happened during the lockdown from the Wuhan virus. I watched our churches and our pastors not be able to gather. I saw synagogues that couldn't open while bars were open. That is inconsistent with our constitution. It's deeply immoral. And it's not good for the very Judeo-Christian foundation of the United States of America either. I, I worry about religious freedom at home. There are those who want to take it away. They want to make America a more secular nation, something more like Europe. That's not how our country has been so successful for 245 years. Well, on that note, speaking of the state of religious freedom in this country, in Canada, we've seen pastors be thrown in jail. We've seen churches shut down for COVID violations. That's what their law enforcement is saying. We've seen this happen in Canada right next to us. Do you see or feel that something like that serious could happen potentially in this country? And are you concerned about the trajectory of where we are headed? I'm very concerned about the trajectory. You know, it seems almost unimaginable to me that something like that would happen here. But I must say, over these last first six months of the Biden administration, I've seen a whole handful of things that I would have said were unimaginable six months ago. Take a, take a look at our southern border. We, we had that figured out. We, we had literally turned off the spigot, and we had made life better for the people of Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras and Mexico. And we had control of our southern border today. You can see right now over a million people already this year who come across illegally. They ripped the Band-Aid off because it was Mike Pompeo who negotiated remained in Mexico. It was Donald Trump who built the wall. And for that reason and that reason alone, they ripped it off. And you can see the, the staggeringly bad results. So when it comes to religious freedom and whether we could have some pastor or some rabbi locked up because they simply wanted to be with their flock, uh, I, I pray that that day doesn't come. On that note, I think we see a lot of people, at least some on the left, who think we live in a free country. You know, this is alarmist language. We'd never see a situation in this country happen. What would you say to them? You can never take it for granted. 
our founders knew this. I worked on the problem set across the world for the last four years, but most of my life I've spent trying to advocate for freedom here in the United States of America. If our republic falls, it'll be because of a failure here at home. It'll be about some dumb idea we teach in our schools. You know, like that people are racist just because they're white, or our nation was ill-founded because uh, the really began in 1619, not 1776. Those ideas undermine the central pillars, the very foundation of our country. And so when people say something like that could never happen, I don't think anybody believed that our curriculum would be filled with ideas that suggested somehow one is racist for just simply demanding that every human being be treated the same, that equality was now viewed as racist. Uh, it was unimaginable just a few years ago, and we are living through that today. I want to talk for a moment about your time as Secretary of State. Is there a moment or a trip that stands out to you as something that you like to talk about or a time where you learned something or just a time that you'll always remember as like, wow, this is something that I'm really grateful I was able to be in this position for? Oh, there are so many, so many wonderful experiences and great memories and good work that me and my team did. I love the trip that I was able to take to Turkey to meet with the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew in Turkey, a church that is under threat from President Erdogan and from the Russians. Uh, it was glorious to go to North Korea to meet with Chairman Kim and bring back three Americans who had been held hostage there. Not long after we'd had an American out of warm beer returned uh, only to die a few hours after he returned home uh, from that terrible authoritarian thug in North Korea. It was an incredible blessing to be able to talk to Chairman Kim and convince him that he should let those three Americans come home. And when I first saw them, when I first saw them climbing aboard our plane there in Pyongyang, uh, I can't remember a time, in, other than with the day I was married and all those good things, I can't remember a time in my public life where I was so encouraged and so, so joyous about something that I'd had at least a little bit something to do with. We recently wrote a piece for National Review, and in it you talked about how this country needs a revival. Can you talk about that piece and tell us about this revival that you see that this country needs? Well, the revival is underway. I've been traveling these last six months. I've been traveling all across America. People are just saying, enough. What, what the, 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 revival, the way to think about the revival is this. For a long time, I think a lot of us took for granted some of the basic things we've been talking here about on this, on this show. Uh, the capacity to go to church and worship in the way we want, the ability to choose which job we want and go work there, the capacity to actually walk into a store without a mask on your face. Right? We, we, we couldn't have imagined some of the things we've been through in these last uh, year and now these last six months. I think the American people are saying enough. I can see it all across the country. I was in Iowa the day before yesterday. I was in southwest Missouri yesterday. Uh, people are just saying, you're not going to teach my kids this garbage. You're not going to take away my capacity to go practice my faith in the way that I want to. I'm going to go to that PTA meeting that I would have never thought about going to. I'm going to run for city council. I couldn't have imagined six months ago I was going to run for city council. That revival, that awakening is happening. And I, I believe it is a spiritual revival as well. People are being reminded of their faith and the importance of their faith to these very civic institutions that matter so much across our country. Uh, I'm confident, it happen confident that it is happening, and I pray that our leaders, I pray leaders from both parties, but certainly the leaders in my party who I think understand this will be fearless in helping make sure that this revival is rewarded in our central institutions. We've talked about China. What about Russia? What do you think the Biden administration should do to meet the threat of Russia that's continually increasing? So the first thing they did was hand them a new START treaty. So this is a, it's a little bit in the weeds, but it's a, it's a nuclear agreement that had been in place and was about to expire. 
We had told the Russians we weren't going to renew it unless we got some significant changes that benefited the United States. Within days of taking office, the Biden administration said, no, no, we'll give you five more years uh, when the Russians are, in fact, behaving very inconsistently with it. Uh, it showed weakness. I think Vladimir Putin has shown that. He, he talked a couple days ago about how the Ukrainian people and the Russian people are one and the same. That is a bad omen if you're a Ukrainian, because you'll recall that the last time President Biden was in power, he was the vice president, the Russians took one-fifth of that country. The Russians will, if you, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And this administration has shown, to date at least, that they're prepared to give that first inch and impose almost no cost on the Russian leadership. You see it in cyber, you see it in the military space, we see it in diplomacy as well. I hope that they will begin to confront the Russians in a way that makes sense for America. There's places we can work together. When I was a CIA director, I worked closely with the Russian intelligence service on counterterror. That's fine. In the end, we have to make sure that what happens in Moscow doesn't leave Moscow and impact us all across the world. Well, before we wrap up, I want to get your advice for young people especially. We see right now what's happening in Cuba, Cuba with the communist regime there. So many students today on college campuses, even in high schools, are taught about communism and people, a lot of young people, see it as this wonderful alternative. Meanwhile, we're seeing what's going on on the ground right there with people who can't access health care and can't access food even. What is your advice to young people especially who have these ideas being talked about um, and are trying to figure out which path to take and what to believe? Read, study, and keep your faith. And then go find someone. Go find someone who's fled communism. Go find a former Hong Konger. Go find someone who fled communist China. Go find someone who fled Cuba, someone who actually lived in that place and just listen to them. I promise you, when you meet these people, I had a chance to meet, for example, some of the family members of the Uyghurs who were being held in Western China. I was in Kazakhstan, and I had a chance to meet some of those family members. You cannot hear those stories without understanding the terror and horrors the communism voice on every person that it has under its authoritarian jackboot. Uh, that would be my urging for them. Don't, don't buy the story. Believe what you see with your own eyes. Capitalism works. Free markets work. Uh, civic institutions and uh, our republic will stand when we have free and fair elections. Don't don't buy the storyline that uh, you, you can get equality of outcome if you just manipulate the system with big government because you might get that equality of outcome. Everyone will be equally diminished and equally poor. Well, Secretary Pompeo, it's a sobering but really good note to end on. Thank you so much for joining Thank us again. Thank you for having me on signal. today. Bless you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find The Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.